Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chaldean Priest Show. I'm your host, Father Daniel, a Chaldean Catholic priest. Please don't forget to rate this podcast, and why don't we dive right in? Sometimes when we pray, things might get repetitive, right? Especially the prayers that we've learned as children or in First Communion classes uh, or whatever our parents taught us. And I want you guys to think about something. And this is a sort of catalyst to the Basilica Hymn for this week. So when we pray the Our Father, we say and we ask for God's kingdom to come. Thy kingdom come. That's what we say in the Our Father. What does that mean? Thy kingdom come. What are we asking for? So on the surface, in a very simplistic way, if someone hasn't studied any theology or, you know, is a cradle Catholic and just knows the prayers that they remember, it could seem as something as simple as, okay, thy kingdom come could mean that we're awaiting God's kingdom and that's something we look forward to is uh, spending all of eternity with God in his kingdom. But I think there's a different meaning here. And when we ask for thy kingdom come, we're literally asking for the second coming. We're asking for God to send us his kingdom because when his kingdom comes, that is the time of judgment. And this is what we call apocalyptic language, where we're looking towards the end of times. And I remember speaking about this in one of my earlier podcasts, something in Greek called the eschaton, pointing us to the end times. And this Basilica hymn for this week says this, The enemy looks forward to the evil hardship of the end times, to casting his net to ensnare the sons of men, and with the traps he set for Adam from the beginning, he schemes against his sons in the end. He will attract the world under the guise of peace, and if possible, He will even lead the elect astray, but not only will his desire not be fulfilled, his reign will also end. Before the eyes of all creatures, he will be judged with a frightful sentence by you. O Lord, who was called the second Adam, and all those who have followed in the footsteps of the deceiver will be confused and exposed. And even now you condemn all those who blaspheme you. O Lord of all, glory to you. End quote. So the author writes that the enemy takes advantage of the end times. So he's taking advantage, ultimately, of this prayer that our Lord taught us, the Our Father. We say, thy kingdom come. He's taking advantage of this. How so? So this author makes a pretty solid point of the enemy taking advantage of the end times by casting his net to ensnare the sons of men and setting traps, like he set for Adam, so on and so forth. So this idea of casting a net. So I remember when I used to go fishing when I was a teenager. I used to go with my uncle. We used to go to a, we used to go to the pier sometimes, and we also used to go to a few lakes. We used to go there, and I remember 
throwing in the fishing line and, you know, waiting there for hours and hours and hours and not catching anything. And I even tried, you know, different techniques and uh, YouTube, I don't even think was a thing back then, but um, typically I would have YouTubed how to fish properly. But uh, in any case, my uncle, he was a pretty solid fisherman. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't call him professional, but he knew what he was doing much more than I did. But I remember the waiting game where we would sit there, we would have a conversation, eat a bunch of seeds, um, and try to enjoy our time as much as we could until something bit the line. And when I would sit there and see the line, you know, have a little tension to it or see it move a little, I would freak out, I'd reel it back in, and it was either seaweed or it was just a wind, the currents of the water, uh, pushing it away, which caused the tension to happen. And then I'd get disappointed, throw my line back in, uh, hook, line, and sinker, right? So I'll throw it back in and play the waiting game again. And as I started to learn more about fishing, I started to understand that once you grow in knowledge of fishing, you're able to uh, expand the way you catch fish. And some people start to throw nets. Now, what happens when a uh, fisherman throws in nets is it's also a waiting game, but you have a much bigger chance of catching something. And the idea is this. The idea is that net spreads and expands throughout the water. And as it sinks into the water, you start to lose vision of it. But even though you lost some vision of the net, you know that you just threw it in a place that's occupied with a bunch of fish all together, gathered together, which increases your chances of catching something. And this image that this author is painting in this basilica hymn is not too far off because we can see this in front of our eyes. It's not like it's a secret. When the enemy wants to have people fall and the author describing that as the enemy throwing his net to get people to fall into sin, it's sort of the same idea where the devil will take advantage of people gathered together for one cause or another and allow that to cause division within themselves. For example, I'll make the argument that this could be attributed also to something like rap music, where many people get into rap music for one reason or another, but some people saying, you know, I just listen to it for the beat, I don't listen to it uh, to hear the lyrics, even though they're utterly inappropriate and completely degrading to women, but yeah, you know, some people listen to rap music for the beat or what have you. And this becomes sort of movement within society where now everyone begins to make the shift and listen to rap music. Now what happens here is you can see this as a net where the enemy takes advantage of this. When you start hearing and seeing that certain rappers are coming out with really demonic things, like blatantly demonic things, and this takes advantage of the listeners who claim that they're only listening to this music for the pleasure of hearing the beats. And 
I want to continue with his Basilica hymn because one thing builds on the other. So then the author goes on to talk about how the enemy will attract the world under the guise of peace. So there's a sort of disguise that the enemy is putting on that can convince people that this certain thing is happening for the sake of peace. And this thing that he's doing is attractive to people. Now, what is something that looks like it's peaceful and is attractive to people? That rhymes. I didn't intend to do that. But what is that? What is that thing that exists that can seem so peaceful and attractive? I'll take a stab at this and say this, among many things, I'm sure, has to do with this new trend of manifestation and thinking that if we think about something for so long and so hard with all of our energy, all of our minds, everything we have, that it will be able to come into existence on its own because we thought about it. And we gave it so much of our attention, of our energy, of our feelings, our passions, that this thing can come into existence if we think about it. A few weeks ago, I put out a video on Instagram about an update on my podcast when I was going through that ordeal with my computer crashing. And also, I decided to give a short, very short explanation on manifestation and why it's evil. And a lot of people started to contact me about this because it is something that's kind of a big deal now. Many people are resorting to manifesting things. And uh, I did get a lot of people that started to ask follow-up questions about what manifestation is and why we can't manifest things. Like, for example, when Jesus tells us, ask and you shall receive. Jesus tells us this. Is he telling us to manifest things? Or what's really going on here? So let's take a step back. The reason why I think manifestation is exactly what the author of this Basilica hymn is talking about when he says, the enemy will attract the world under the guise of peace, is because we are very curious people. We always want to know what's going on so we can think that we're in control. We can be intimidated with what the future holds. And where we're at now, technologically speaking, our ability to have a long attention span has completely diminished. So that's even worse for the human person to not know what the future holds or what is actually going to happen in our lives. And you can see how this could be so attractive to people because we can think that if manifestation really does work and we could manifest things and we hear stories about some people that may have manifested things and it actually happened, this can attract people to thinking that it will cause and allow us to have more peace in our lives. But really is doing the opposite. Because don't forget, in Genesis, 
there's a very, very clear detail of how the serpent was by his nature. Genesis 3.1 says that the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature. Now, this word subtle in the Hebrew literally means cunning, and it's usually in a bad sense, someone that's crafty, someone that's able to be deceitful and manipulate a certain situation. And that's exactly how the serpent was able to enter the garden, because Adam, his duty was to keep until the garden. And if, if he was actually doing that, so it goes both ways. Adam was not doing what he was supposed to do. But the serpent was also subtle. So you could see this as a double-edged sword. And I think with the case of manifestation and being able to manifest things, this is what attracts people because the enemy is able to use this in a very subtle way to think that it's something so innocent, something so simple. And my response to this is that if we actually think that thinking about a certain thing for so long, we can bring it into existence by our very thought, then we should just call ourselves gods. Because only a being with infinite power is able to bring something from non-being to being, from non-existence to existence. No person can do this except a being with infinite power, someone that's omnipotent, someone that's omniscient, and that being is God. Now, when Jesus says, ask and you will receive, Jesus is not talking about asking and bringing a supplication to a certain form of energy or some sort of metaphysical reality that we are in control of. No, Jesus is simply saying, ask in prayer and you will receive if it is God's will. So there's a unification between the supplication and the will of God. Now, when we ask for something and it doesn't happen, does that mean God doesn't exist? No, it means God knows what's best for us. And the Basilica hymn goes on to say that if possible, the enemy will even lead the elect astray. Now, the elect are the people of God. And I'm not going to get into the predestination topic right now because we're going to be here forever, but I'll do that maybe on another podcast episode. But the elect are those who are following the will of God and the right path. And again, something that could be painted in such an innocent way, like manifesting, that could be so simple, can lead people astray and can be a disguise of peace. And this is something we really need to be vigilant of because Jesus is a new Adam who knows how to keep until his garden and protect us from any evil harm. And he does do that. But we need to allow him to do that in our lives in order to be protected. When Christ is in charge, we are protected. When we take the seed of God 
and think we can do what he does, then there's a complete divorce between his will and our will. And of course, St. Augustine says that God became man so that man can become God. And Jesus transforms us through our baptism to be more like him, to be sons, and to be able to call God our Father is sharing in a participation in God's life. It's not us taking the seed of God and thinking we are omnipotent creatures that don't have any limits. And this is the reason why I related manifesting in my Instagram video to other kinds of sorcery, to things like Ouija boards, to things like palm readings. Because these things are all a disguise and are man-made to replace God. And this is something we really need to be aware of and we really need to be cautious of because demonic possession exists. It's not something that's fake. It's not something that parents sell their kids so they can be good kids. No, it's something very serious. And it's something that exists. So I'll leave you with this before we get to the lines then. Let God do his job. Let God be God. And let us find peace in something that will actually give us the organic and natural way of peace. And that can only be found in God. Okay, let's get to the lines then. I think really one of the things that's causing society to, to put in kind terms, less smart, is the lack of reading that there is in society. So there has been a drastic decrease in people who read books, who enjoy reading books, and who take the time to expand their knowledge in things. Uh, because now it could be something as easy as opening up Google and Googling uh, whatever you want to know about literally anything. And this really has been the cause of a decrease in the intellectual life of a person. Uh, because now, even with parenting, parenting, uh, it's regulated by throwing an iPad in front of a kid and allowing them to uh, be distracted in that sense or be good, whatever it may be. But that's not the way to go. The way to go is to make an effort to read, to become a smarter person, to expand your vocabulary, to understand how to think logically and build logical arguments. And the only way to do that is to read and uh, to make that effort, even though, of course, sometimes it could be boring, sometimes it could, be, uh, it could seem like a burden, but start somewhere. And parents should be the ones to uh, begin this in a child's life. The habit should be formed in a very, very early stage of the child's life so that they can get used to this intellectual life of living. So that's my unpopular opinion. Um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Please don't forget to rate this podcast. And as always, I'll see you next time.